0: Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor, and today we are in part two of our series, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. So my question for you today is, how do you know when someone's actions and someone's words don't line up, and in truth, they're deceiving you? Or how do you know when you're maybe deceiving yourself and that your actions and your words don't align up to the behavior you wish you were living out? I hope you stick around to find out how we figure out the truth. Hey, we're in part two today of our series, Actions Speak Louder. Um, obviously, that had nothing to do with uh, today's series, uh, but it just had everything to do with at least the ice today. I can't tell you uh, how much work it was to get the truck and the trailer here this morning with all of that ice. Um, hopefully, it goes well putting it back because it's kind of on a hill, and so when you back like three tons of equipment and a truck and a trailer this way, I'm hoping I just don't slide right into my neighbor's uh, shed. So uh, pray for pray for me on that one. Um, So today, um, we're continuing a conversation that we started last week, um, and it began with the fact that we know that this statement is true, that we know that actions speak louder than words. Um, We know that the talk is only going to get us so far, but it's really when we walk it that makes the difference, Um, and it also is where we recognize it most if we fall short Um, That it is um, one thing to say we're going to do it, but then when we don't actually follow through in our actions, that's when we notice it the most, right? That we say we're going to start this whole new year, and we're going to get to the gym, and we're going to take care of ourselves. Uh, but then Netflix releases that brand new series, and we just have to binge it. And uh, even though we could binge it while on the treadmill, let's be honest, it's a lot better with some ice cream or some popcorn. And so we go that route. Um, or uh, we know it would be better, or we say we're going to be doing the dishes. Um, but in reality, we work just so hard today already, and so we'll just do the dishes tomorrow, right? Or somebody hits us up with like a money-making opportunity. It's going to be the best thing yet. You're going to make so much cash. You're practically going to be able to retire within a year or two, Um, but the reality is behind that talk, there's not a lot of walk, and they themselves maybe haven't even achieved that amount of income, and so why in the world would you be able to do it when they weren't able to? Um, Or my personal favorite, for those of you who are maybe in the dating world or remember that time uh, fondly, um, the time when someone would say to you, "Um, it's not me, it's you, And you sit there and you're like, I hear what your words are saying, but it's not like you're going to break up with you, you're breaking up with me. And so obviously I have something to do with the fact that we're breaking up right now. Your actions speak louder than your words. And then last week we also talked about how um, some of the worst people at this, some of the people who make us the most upset when it comes to this idea uh, is religious people. And because this is a church, and because we're, uh, some of us are consider ourselves Christians, um, we should probably talk about Christianity and how so often Christians, or those people at least who claim the title of being a Christian, uh, it's kind of interesting because like the great commandment of Christianity that Jesus gave us was to love God and love our neighbor. And yet sometimes Christians are the absolute most unloving, unkind people, judgmental people that you could ever meet. And we often find um, that Christians can uh, be the, the worst at gossip and criticizing uh, one another and judging people, even though Paul specifically says not to judge people outside the church. Christians are... just like seem to almost have fun um, judging people that are outside the church and telling everyone the moral authority that they should live their lives by and or um, and when it comes to matters of faith and we looked at the the uh, book of James last week and James perception and perspective on the on this topic and how so many of us um, may say we have faith but when it comes to our walk when it comes to our actions they don't exactly line up. And any time that happens, it really makes Christianity, and it makes us personally, um, look uh, less desirable, and it hurts people, and people want to avoid us. And so how can we make sure, this is what we said last week at least, how can we make sure that we are locking the walk to the talk, we are locking the walk to the talk, or to say it a different way, to talk the talk and to walk the walk. We have to make sure we lock the walk to the talk. Okay, that's a little Dr. Seuss for you there, um, because that's where um, Ellie and I are reading a lot right now, um, and it is pretty fun. Sam, I am. Um, I do not like green and ham. Anywho, so um, I talked to you a little bit about how we need to make this personal, how, or to say it a different way, we should lock our walk to our talk. And I use the example of like a padlock that when we don't lock both ends of these, like maybe we just talk it, but we don't walk it, and so it leaves things um, unlocked, uh, that we really miss out on an opportunity to be to others uh, a sense of safety and security. Because when we lock our walk and our talk, or when we are in relationships with people who also lock their walk and their talk, Um, it creates a a trust. It builds confidence in one another, and it builds a healthier relationship, and this honestly is what we all want, right? Nobody wants to be married um, or dating or in a family in which that is not the goal, that people are inconsistent in that area of their lives and their walk and their talk, Um, and it's easier for sure to see it in others, but we also have to recognize it in ourselves, and hopefully we're going to talk about A little both um, today, that we have to recognize when there's some tension in our relationships. We have to recognize when there's some tension in how people are behaving and say, hey, is the reason that I'm feeling uncomfortable or questioning this situation because they're not locking their walk to their talk? Or maybe I'm not locking my walk to my talk. Now, last week, as I said, we looked at uh, James, the brother of Jesus, and James was a very, um, like, I think, reliable source um, because for most of us, it would take a lot for our brother to, con- uh, to convince us that he is the Son of God, um, but uh, Jesus convinced James he was the Son of God, not at first. In fact, James really doesn't show up in Jesus' ministry till after Jesus' death. resurrection, but then when Jesus comes back to to life, um, that seemed to have changed a lot for James because James jumps into the pages of history as um, the uh, leader or the uh, head pastor in the church in Jerusalem when the church first began. And he gave us a lot of strong words last week about um, this idea of locking our walk to our talk. Specifically, he wanted to talk to Christians, and he wanted to make sure that we have a faith and that our works or our actions line up together, that they are in sync. And here's one of the things he said last week um, that I wanted to highlight, is that those who consider themselves religious, because it's just all religions, just as much as is Christianity, and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues, Okay, and it could be anything. It's not that you you use foul language or any, really just any disconnect between your actions uh, and your words. You deceive yourselves, and maybe even others are deceived by you, and their religion is worthless. And James was not mincing words. He was pretty clear. It's not like it just devalues their religion, devalues their faith. He's saying, no, it makes it worthless. Because when other people look at you and see that your actions and your words don't line up, they're going to look at your faith and say, well, why would I want to be a part of that? I don't want to adhere to a version of Christianity where people are always inconsistent, where people are hypocrites. And so it essentially makes it worthless. But what we're focusing on today, and we spent some time last week, is this word right here, deceive. Because we are amazing at deceiving ourselves. We talked about that last week, and I said that at the beginning. Like, we'll convince ourselves we're going to go to the gym this time, but then we don't. Okay? That we deceive ourselves. And we think people won't notice. And we think God's not going to notice. You know, God's not going to notice our choices. God it's not going to notice our envy. People aren't going to notice our lust and our behaviors and our choices of who we prioritize in our lives, but they do. People do, and if people don't, your kids, if you have kids, they certainly will recognize that, and then they will look at you, and they will look at your faith, and they will see it as, James said, worthless. Now, if it's one thing about us, but then if it's others, um, I think we've all been there. We've all felt like we've been deceived by others, right? That they say, hey, this time I'm actually going to be there. I'm going to actually be there on time. I'm actually going to follow through. I'm actually going to do this differently next time. And, And you sit there and you nod, but you know deep down that they probably won't. We've all been there. We've all been deceived by people. And so today, I just want to ask the question, how do we determine deception? How do, do, how do we determine deception? Probably something that we've all done, we've all tried to determine deception on someone else's part, but not something we often think about. Like, how do we actually figure out if someone's being honest and truthful? And wouldn't it be nice to know, like if we had a kind of a surefire way to know that, you know what, their walk and their talk is not locked, and that we could see the train wreck coming before it actually hits, and we know it with certainty, and therefore we actually plan accordingly. Now, the good news for all of us today is that Jesus uh, came along and really helped a lot. In fact, Jesus spelled this out exceptionally clearly, and he makes it really, really simple, okay? Now, by the end of the message, it's going to get complicated, but at least for the time being, where Jesus is going to take us, it's really, really simple, okay? Now, just as a side note, um, Jesus just has this, tends to have this way of making really complex issues very, very simple, And he kind of knows life sometimes better than we even know life. And some of us have lived life for a long time. And I just want to suggest to you just this idea that if Jesus, or if you sit down and you read what Jesus taught and what Jesus said, and Jesus had such a good handle on life and relationships, that maybe Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. And so if you question Who Jesus is, and which is a fantastic question, by the way, um, who Jesus is and who God is to you, maybe where you would go is figuring out what Jesus said, and did Jesus really know what he was talking about? And I think today is a perfect example of Jesus knowing what he's talking about and getting it right when it comes to our relationships. Okay, so back on topic for for, uh, going forward, Um, we're going to look at a a real brief moment in a really long sermon, okay? In fact, this was a very famous sermon. Some of you might have heard of it when you grew up in church, Um, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. It was this moment when Jesus got up on the side of a mount, and he spoke, and he said a lot, and it was like Jesus's greatest hits, Okay, and there were ideas that he kind of hit over and over and over again in different ways, in different forms, in different ideas, in moments. But these were like his main key ideas. He was establishing himself and what he was going to accomplish on the earth, okay? And in the, the middle of this message, he lays out how, the answer to this question, how do we determine deception, Okay. And it's easy for us to just sit there and say, well, Taylor, if they are locked in their walk and their talk, that's an easy way to to, to see deception. And that is true, and that is one way in which you can do it, but there's almost even a better way, a more surefire way than that. And so cue Jesus to introduce us to this idea. Here's how he starts in Matthew chapter 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. In other words, watch out for people who deceive you, Okay. Now, I just want to explain, just camp out on this word prophets just for a second and do like a little Bible explanation for us, because a lot of us, especially in culture today, when we see the word prophets, we think future tellers. We think they t- they're people who tell of the future, okay? Now, if you go and read the Old Testament, specifically the prophets, because there's a section of books all from prophets. There's the major prophets and then there's the minor prophets. You know, want to know the difference between the major and the minor? One's a lot bigger than the other, okay? Pretty clear, okay? Major prophets, minor prophets, and they did tell things about the future. In fact, they told a lot of the things about Jesus, for example, but more often than not, they were talking about the present, prophets or being prophetic in a lot of senses more often than not means that you are just a truth teller and more than that you tell truth to power because the prophets were notorious for the ones to come in in the middle of this moment when people were deceiving themselves and bringing the truth even if people didn't like it and as we're going to talk about in our series in march sometimes it doesn't take that much to predict someone's future based on the decisions that they're making now. So it's not so much prophecy as it is just, hey, if you keep doing it this way, you're going to mess up and suffer consequences in the long term. So Jesus is saying, hey, you need to watch out, especially for people who seem to bring truth, who seem to be reliable, whose job it is, is to be locked, but they might not be. And you need to watch out. Sure, you should trust them. Maybe sure you should listen to them. But you just also have to watch them. He goes on. He says, they come to you in in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. They're not nice wolves. They're ferocious wolves. And they're coming after you. And you need to watch out for them. And they're going to come. When you see them, they're going to look like sheep to which you say, I feel like I could spot them. But what Jesus is trying to get at and what Jesus is culturally pulling at is, especially for those people who are familiar with shepherding, is oftentimes shepherds would wear sheep's clothing, not only because it was affordable, but it was literally what they had to wear. And it could help them in actually shepherding the sheep because their sheep would be like, hey, he's one of us kind of thing, okay? And so Jesus um, is essentially saying to you, hey, they come to you, looking really good. Like, they've showered. Like, they have a job. Like, they don't have debt. And they're looking fine, and they're smelling good. Okay, ladies, are you watching, you know, following along here? And men, and she is just gorgeous. Okay, they look like that. But on the inside, The inside, that's where you need to look, because on the inside, on the outside, they may even look like they got it all together, but on the inside, that's where the problem's going to come from. And so a good follow-up question to that is, okay, well, how then do we know what really is on the inside? Because some people can be very, very deceptive, and Jesus gives us that very clear, very simple answer. He says, by, by their fruit, you will recognize them is that amazing? You guys seem very unimpressed. I think this is fantastic. Okay, fruit. Okay, in other words, he's saying what they produce. In other words, if they were a tree, what do they produce? What kind of fruit do they bear? What comes from their words and their actions? He goes on to kind of explain this more, and it's a little bit of a cultural stretch between 21st century and Jesus' century. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? To which we say, no. They pick them from grape vines. Or figs from thistles? To which we say, what are figs? Okay? But the answer is, no. They don't do that, okay? They pick grapes from grape vines. Just as you should trust trustworthy people. People who bear trustworthy fruit that are dependable, that are reliable, that you should look at someone and say, hey, they're honest, not just because they talk honest talk, not just because they even look like they're walking an honest walk, but because when I fact check their behavior, it will be true. Likewise, he says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree, shocker, bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And I think he's not trying to like treat us like we don't know what's going on. He's not trying to, to dumb it down so much that he's insulting us. I think we just deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, this bad fruit somehow, or I'm going to fix this bad fruit to be a good fruit. And sometimes we just deceive ourselves more often than not into thinking that somehow this rule is going to play out differently. Jesus is trying to get at. We're looking not at like one off, like, hey, I just was late once or twice, or hey, I just forgot to do that once or twice. He's saying you are looking, we are looking for a pattern of behavior that that tree consistently produces a certain amount of fruit. It's not like, oh, just, you know, they tell the truth 90% of the time. We're talking they have a pattern of multiple times falling short. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. In other words, if we make this kind of an equation, your talk plus your walk equals some degree of fruit. Something is going to be produced by what you do. And the simplest way that I could think about this is in like uh, school terms, like in math, for example, or any, you know, class in general, okay, you get assignments, right? And some of you teachers, you know this really, really well. You get an assignment, okay, now, you have probably seen a peer, or maybe even you yourself have tried to do this, um, too. You, um, maybe, maybe not even doing that well in, in school, um, but you tell your teacher, you say, this time I am going to get this assignment done. And you say, then, then the next day you walk into school with that assignment, and you say, I spent two hours on this assignment last night, and I completed this assignment and I am turning it in on time. Here you go. Now, isn't it easy to sit there and look at their talk and their walk and say, well, that's a good student, right? But then we look at the fruit. What grade did they get on that assignment? Sure, they said they spent two hours on it. Sure, it got turned in on time. But what was the grade? Maybe the grade was like a D or an F. They talked it. They said they walked it. But then you look at the fruit and you say, hey, something's not lining up here. You're right. You may have sat there with your book open for two hours, but you may also have had your phone open for two hours and then just written something down and turned it in. It's the fruit that makes... The difference. It's the fruit that's like that surefire way that you really have a hard time getting around and and cooking the books, if you will, to try to make it work. Another example of this, and apparently this is like a thing online, some of you, you know, you, you're, you're just such a great parent that you try to give your kids um, nice things and you, you, and, and you try to do right by them and, and be thoughtful and those kinds of things. And, and sometimes our kids want things, and so we just try to make it work. And so then you go on to like Pinterest or Instagram and you see something on there, like a cake or something, you're like, I'm going to make that. And so, like maybe your kid comes up to you and you're like, "Hey, I would really like a hu- Humpty Dumpty cupcakes, and we're gonna have a fairy tale thing." And so you see this picture of Humpty Dumpty and a cupcake on, on Instagram or on Pinterest, and you're like, "I'm gonna make that, okay?" And you say you're gonna make it, and you spend hours trying to work on it to make it, okay? But then this is what happens when you do. <laughs> Let me just tell you something: you are deceiving yourself. Okay? That is not Humpty Dumpty. That is just sad. (laughs) Literally, he's sad. Couldn't even get that part right. Okay? It's what's in the fruit. Like, you can be well-intentioned even sometimes. You can try and work at it and work at it and work at it, but if the fruit is not there, you just have to, sometimes we just have to be really honest with ourselves that it's just not working out. That to determine deception, we have to look at the fruit produced. To determine deception, we have to look at the fruit produced. Like, you can say, you can say that you are a great driver, and maybe we ride together one time or two times or three times, and hey, you're not too bad. But then we pull your insurance, and we pull your driving record, and it's a whole different story. That's what we got to look at. Why is it that when you go to a job, okay, and you're applying for a job, they do what? They ask you for a resume, right? They ask you to put down references a lot of times. They ask you for your old employer's information so that they could contact them and verify what you had to say. They'll even ask you, right, for your social security number because they're going to run a background check on you, okay? Why do they do that? To verify what you said you did, what you said you did, actually lines up to the fruit that was produced. In fact, it would be weird not to do that, wouldn't it? Like, you'd look at an employer who doesn't take that due diligence and say, hey, you're not being exactly responsible with your hiring practices. To verify the fruit was actually what happened. That the apple tree actually made apples. That your walk and your talk lined up to the fruit that was produced. And then if James were here, he would take this a step further. He would say christians christians in the room jesus followers in the room okay you say that you're christian and you even go to church and so maybe to the rest of the world as far as they're concerned like you are like that's their version of christianity for a lot of people their version of christianity is well you go to church that's all it takes and you've locked the walk and the talk but james would say hey Let's also take a look at the other areas of your life, not just Sunday mornings at 10.30. Let's look at your text messages. Let's review your social media posts. Let's look through your browsing history. Let's look at your friend history. Do you have a tendency of breaking friendships or building friendships? Let's be honest. Do you really reflect love God and love your neighbor in those areas of your life? Like, you say you want to explore faith and grow and figure out God, and that's awesome. Like, that's incredible. I'm all for that. But, But what have you produced so far? What have you done? What is the fruit of your labor in that endeavor? And if it's not much to none, well, then that's probably why you're not growing. And you're saying you want to, and you're showing up and intending to, but because you're not doing it, how can we say that you're actually trying to figure it out? You and I, we can walk and talk all day long. It's in the fruit that shows ourselves, others, and God what's really happening. Some of us, we need to be really honest with ourselves that we have, we have relationships, we have friendships, okay? We have friendships that on the surface, you know, you, you talk and y'all get along, okay, and then you do fun things together and you hang out and it's cool and everything's going well, okay. But, but when you look at the fruit that is produced by those relationships, would you say that that fruit is, is life-giving? Or is it, like, more gossipy? Or is it more stressful to you sometimes? Or is it more talky behind other people's backs sometimes? That maybe it isn't Like, you wouldn't describe it as exceptionally life-giving. And I understand, maybe that's because your friendships in your entire life have only been that, and so it's difficult to see something that is different than what you've only ever experienced. But I'm just telling you, like, and I'm not trying to toot the horn of our our groups here at Infuse, because I'm sure there's a lot of good groups that meet all around Iowa City and, and the area that are really, really good, but I just hear nothing but amazing things coming from our small groups, those people who have committed to spending a year together growing in relationship and figuring out and exploring faith. Like constantly, people's genuine smiles of, this is happening in a group, now we're going to do this, and we're really excited for it. That is authentic. That is real. That is growth. For some of you, you got to be honest, you know, you're trying to convince yourself that the walk and the talk are lining up, but the the fruit that's produced is that you're just being used in whatever relationship that you're in, or maybe even in your job, that, that you're just being taken advantage of for someone else's ends. You are a means to an end. And it's going to be difficult to see it here. But when you look here, you'll see the truth that all whoever is above you and who's really ever in charge cares about is just their bottom line and not really you. You're just a means to an end. And maybe it's time to be honest about that and the unhappiness that that's bringing in your life. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest. We need to ask other people, people that we trust, for input. Maybe even go so far, and I don't want to get too bold here, but maybe you just need to, you know, spend some time alone in prayer with your Father in heaven and have some intentional conversations with God and say, God, could you just make sure, help me to make sure I'm looking at this right? Because I don't want to be in a situation where bad fruit is, com, is continues to happen, and I'm just deceiving myself. I tell you, and, and maybe, I, I, and this is just m- my thing, I, I love to read, like, leadership books and organizational leadership books and, and that kind of thing, and consistently, time and time again, I hear this theme, or there's a whole chapter dedicated to the fact of facts matter. And that's actually kind of quite a cultural topic today, is what are the facts, but that facts matter and that you have to drive to the facts, because otherwise all you're going to do is you're going to grow in bad directions, in wrong directions. It is very difficult to build truth on top of a lie. I've talked about this before. Really, all you can build on top of a lie, all you can build on bad fruit is more bad fruit. It's very difficult to, on a healthy foundation, build on anything other than truth. The, the, one of the guys who started uh, the Ritz-Carlton, he said this was so important to our success at the Ritz-Carlton. Most of us know the Ritz-Carlton. We know it to be a place that we will never go because we can't afford it, um, but we also know it to be very fancy. And one of the, the ways in which they achieved such a high level of care and notoriety was because they were brutal on themselves with the facts. And they would send out guest um, satisfaction cards, and the number that they looked at over and over again, that was the driving force for them was on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being definitely recommended, how often would you, or how likely would you be to recommend the Ritz-Carlton to someone else? And anything, get this, anything less than a 9 was unsatisfactory to the leadership of Ritz-Carlton. Less than a 9. Most of us are happy with 90% or higher. 89% unacceptable. And they would get to the root of the inconvenience or whatever went wrong in those uh, consumer um, surveys, that, the customer surveys that they would send out. Because they wanted to make sure the fruit that they were producing, they, wanted to, they talked that they were the best, and they walked it. They tried to walk it as best as they could, but they wanted to see the fruit of their customer service. Was it really impacting people in a positive way? Now... Let's be honest, and this is where it starts to get a little bit more complicated, is our intentions, in fact, probably most of your intentions are not to produce bad fruit, okay? Most of the time, I think the times in which we produce bad fruit could more or less be just opportunities to learn and grow, where we just have to sit down and and just learn to be better and have conversations and grow and be better and learn the truth of the situation. But that's hard. And so I just want to switch just for a quick minute in in the moments in which it's complicated to figure out the whole truth, when it's not easy to figure out, is this good or bad fruit, okay? Okay. Because some of you know what it should be, and it's not, and, it, and it's difficult to, like, reconcile what is really happening, and, and so the best way that I can think to do this is through uh, an example, and um, I, I got my wife's permission to, to talk about this, but essentially the example I'm going to give you is the five love languages and my marriage, Okay. All right, so that's going to be exciting. Um, So if you don't know what the five love languages are, essentially um, a a guy sat down and said, here's the ways in which we communicate love to one another, especially in, in intimate relationships. Here's how we communicate. And there's five of them, okay? And here are the five, if you don't know what they are, acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts, physical touch, and words of affirmation. Now, all of us have different love languages. Some of us put a higher emphasis on one or the other or different combinations, okay? But more or less, there's like the top two, okay? And once you take uh, the five love languages assessment, you'll figure out pretty quickly, hey, these are my love languages, and it'll make sense to you too. You'll be like, yeah, this this is how I want to be loved, okay? Um, And so for me, uh, my top two are the bottom two in this list, uh, physical touch and words of affirmation, okay? Those are my top two. Now, please don't get weird on me, okay? This is just in my marriage, so so don't like when I go out in the hall, you just come up here, Taylor, let me give you a big hug or something. you like, you don't have to do that. Don't go like, oh, Taylor, that was the best message I've ever, you're amazing, okay? It only works, I promise you, it only works in my marriage, okay? It's a completely different outside my marriage, but in my marriage, these are the top two um, for me, okay? Now, the good news or challenging news, depending on how you look at it, is Stephanie's is the complete opposite. Hers are acts of service and quality of time. In fact, our love languages, and I've talked about this before, are completely opposite, okay? That's my marriage. Stephanie is the complete opposite than me, okay? And so how this is really complicated is when we talk love and we walk love, we walk in completely different languages, and so when we look at each other, it is so easy, I can't tell you how easy it is, for us to look at each other and deceive ourselves into thinking the other person doesn't love us. Because I sit there and I say, Stephanie, I don't need acts of service. I don't need quality time. I need words of affirmation. I need you to tell me that, hey, I'm a, I'm a decent hu- husband. That's what I need. Okay? And she's sitting there and saying, Taylor, I I, I just want to sit and talk. I just want to spend time with you. And that's just confusing to me, because the thing about love language is what we show is also what we receive. And so if we show, um, if we want to receive uh, words of affirmation, that is likely how we'll also show love to another person. And so it's very difficult for me to show acts of service. And so we can sit here and easily, so easily deceive ourselves into thinking that we don't love each other. But the truth is, the truth is, and this is why it's so complicated sometimes to get to the truth, the truth is we do love each other. We're just not walking and talking the same language. And so we have to work extra hard, extra intentionally to communicate and be clear and make sure we are not giving in to deception and figure out the truth. Because sometimes when we do that math question of, of talk plus walk equals fruit, sometimes it's complicated to figure out what the truth of the matter really is and so my encouragement to you because some of you are going to like switch into this mode of like hey I know I know who who the wolves and sheep clothing are in my life in fact I could write a list down right now okay in fact I've spent the last five minutes I've checked out of the message Taylor I'm writing that list in my mind of the wolves in my life okay we are tempted to treat wolves like wolves we are tempted just to go, up. Oh, they're a wolf, and check box, and they're out. They're gone. I'm going to treat them poorly. I'm going to outcast them. I'm going to slander them. I'm going to avoid them. I'm going to attack them behind their back and all the things in, the, in between. Why? Because they're a wolf. And so shouldn't they just be treated like wolves? But Jesus says to treat them like they're children of God. Jesus says just to watch out for them not to mistreat them so my question have have you ever mistreated someone because they felt like a wolf to you of course you have of course i have but jesus says just because you can recognize they're a wolf by their fruit doesn't mean that gives you permission to treat them like one because in the same exact sermon jesus said this You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Paul says, you need to do whatever is possible to find peace. If you want to learn more about that, you can watch a previous message called Bad Blood, and all about finding peace in your relationships. Jesus taught, if you have an issue with your brother or your sister, don't go praying to God first, you go reconcile with your brother or your sister, then come back and offer, make your offering to God. Then come back and and figure things out with with you and God. And that's why, even in the midst of these moments like, like like my marriage, that's why we have to just be so mindful about extending grace and love and living like Jesus called us to live, to love our neighbor. Because life is hard and, and life is complicated, and we're not always going to get it right. And the walk and the talk aren't always easy. And if we approach the bad fruit, the wolves in our lives, with grace and love and truth, we have the greatest opportunity. We've set ourselves up for the greatest opportunity that we will actually grow, that we can come to an understanding, and perhaps we can even reconcile and restore the relationship. Because let's be honest, it's not like we all sit here as perfect producers of fruit. We've all messed up, we've all fallen short. In Christianity, we believe we've all sinned, we've all produced bad fruit. But the good news is, the good news is that even God, creator of the universe, looked at us in our bad fruit and said, yeah, but I still love you, and I still care about you, and I'm still going to do everything I can to make it right. I am not going to shy away from telling you that the fruit is bad, but I'm not going to devalue you for it. I'm not going to think anything less of you for it. I'm still going to love you in the midst of that. And that's my hope, is that we could recognize, we could recognize the fruit when we see it, recognize the deception that that we ourselves may fall victim to, or we ourselves may deceive ourselves into thinking that things are better than they actually are. And we would call the fruit for what it is. But even in the midst of that, we would meet that with grace and love and forgiveness, and maybe even invite God into the midst of the fruit that we've produced. If you would bow your heads and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, with great wisdom to recognize the behaviors of others, the walk and their talk, and the fruit that comes from that. And with great wisdom, we would also look at ourselves honestly and with truth to consider our walk and our talk and the fruit that it produces. Are we saying one thing but doing another? Are we saying one thing, we're doing one thing, but really the end result is not good? And that we would just be honest. Help us to be wise in that pursuit. Lord, help us to have the confidence to reach out to people that we trust, our community group, if that's what it is, or, or our church, if that's what, what, what relationships we need to pull to, but that we would also have the confidence to reach to you, Lord. That we would say, hey, Lord, help us to see things like you see them, to see them how Jesus saw them so we would better understand what Jesus taught and be better able to live that out. Lord, help us to do that each and every week of our lives. If not for ourselves, then for those of us who follow Jesus, do that because it honors you, it honors our Creator, it honors the God who taught us this and who loves us so much. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. There is so much to unpack in today's message, so I hope you take time to prayerfully consider um, what people's words and actions are producing and what your words and actions are producing and to seek input from outside people that you trust and maybe even to pray about it and seek your Father in Heaven's input on what people are producing and the truth of that. And remember to meet whatever comes out of that experience with love love and grace, and we'll see you next week.